So good morning, everyone. Good morning. All right. I want to thank you for being here. And just uh, for those of you that are online, looking forward to having you with us for our in-person services in the near future. Uh, next Sunday morning, we're going to uh, be reopening our Sunday school classes, which start at 9.30. And then also we will have uh, child care offered during the morning service. So for a number of folks that have been waiting for that, that will be taking place uh, and beginning next Sunday morning. Also, next Sunday morning following the service, we have our annual uh, church administration meeting. I think Tim Dorier made an announcement about that last week. There's a packet on the table out front that you can pick up on your way uh, out this morning. I want to encourage you, even if you're not a member officially here at the chapel, uh, but you're someone who obviously comes, participates, and contributes. We think it's good for you to be aware of how your resources are being used, and that's some of the things that will be discussed at the meeting following the service. So we want to encourage you to stay and participate in that meeting next Sunday morning. Obviously, uh, for the purposes of voting, only members can do that, but we would love for you to stay and participate in that. There are no secrets. It's just a, a meeting of our church family when we talk over the budget for the new year. So hope you can do that. Uh, tonight, also, James is beginning the uh, Psalm study once again, and that's in person here at the building, and I believe that's at 6 o'clock, James? 6.30. Okay, so you can be here for that. And then one other thing to note is that the Community Blend ministry begins this Wednesday. So if you're in the area and able to stop by, we'd love to have you stop by and be an encouragement to that ministry as uh, some of the folks within our church family begin to connect with our community and seek opportunities to make the good news of Jesus Christ known to people and also just as a way of serving our community uh, here at the chapel building. I want to lead us in a word of prayer. Would you ask you to stand with me this morning if you would? As we join our hearts in prayer, Father, we uh, are grateful that we can come uh, into your presence with boldness because of Jesus. Uh, thank you that we have a high priest who grants us access before a holy God, uh, who cleanses, of, uh, cleanses us of our sin and makes a way for us uh, to receive the help that we so desperately need. And this morning, Lord, we... Uh, just want to pause to pray for the nation of Ukraine. Uh, Lord, I know many hearts are, are, are heavy over that. All of us have been taking in the news and uh, just wrestling through the implications of that for, particularly for people there, for a number of missionaries that we know personally that serve in Ukraine who have chosen to stay and to continue to serve the people of that country. We pray, God, that your protection would rest over uh, the people of Ukraine and those that are there to serve them. Uh, God, I pray that you would uh, turn back the opposition, uh, that you would change the heart of leaders. Uh, we know that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and like rivers of water, you turn it wherever you will. And uh, Lord, our prayer very simply is that you would bring an end to this conflict. Uh, and we trust you for that. Lord, we, we, we confess with the psalmist, some trust in horses, some in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. God, that this morning is our confession. Our hope is in you, Lord. Uh, we know that we live in a world where there is brokenness, where there is deceit, where there is hatred, and at times a murderous heart. 
And uh, God, we pray that the, the church of Christ in Ukraine would be strong and would be ministering even in these seasons. God, give opportunities for the gospel uh, to make a way and to see hearts and lives changed. But your protection, we pray, over that nation this morning. Thankful, Lord, for uh, the progress that Tom Camella is making. Uh, thank you for the conversation with him on the phone yesterday. Now, what a joy it was, God, to uh, hear his voice and to hear the joy that he has and the desire he has to share what you've been teaching him through this extended season of sickness. Pray your blessing over Karen, his wife, and over the extended family. God, just be pouring out your blessings over them, I pray. Thank you for the good word for Dave Mercer coming home from the hospital. We are grateful for the successful surgery. And we pray over him today and over Patty today, God, just a protection from any infection and uh, just complete restoration of health and returning both of them to ministry as they so, uh, so desire to do, Lord. And for Gary Hoyt, as he prepares for uh, the next phase of his treatments, God, we are grateful for what you have done through the treatments he's received and the good success. And we trust that as he moves towards this stem cell transplant, that you would be pouring protection over his body. Keep it free from infection till that day in March. And we trust that you will, God, bring healing to his body through this. Lift up Diana and Victor. And God, just we, we pray for them for over well over a year and we pray god that your hand will continue to rest on diana's life and that redeeming the time and making the most of the opportunities that are in front of her as she seeks to serve others through and in spite of the struggle that she is facing uh, we ask for just your healing hand to be resting very powerfully and strongly on her as well god we've come to worship you this morning and as we sing and proclaim truth that is very large and uh, significant about you. I pray that it would be the source of comfort for our hearts this morning. Bless the worship team as they lead us into your presence for the glory of Christ. We pray these things in his name and all God's people said, amen. Let's worship together.
fortress. Raise your voice now, no love is greater. Who can stand against us if our God is for us? Sing with joy now, our God is for us. The Father's love is a strong and mighty fortress. Raise your voice now, no love is greater. Who can stand against us if our God is for us? my God have saved my soul. You, my God, have saved my soul. I am yours forevermore. I won't be moved of this, I'm sure. You, my God, and you save my soul. I was lost, and I was lost when you came for me, held in chains by the enemy, but you broke them in victory. Now I'm free, and I am free, you're my joy, and you are my hope. I am saved by your grace alone, I will sing of your love for me, I am free. You, my God, have saved my soul. I am yours forevermore. I won't be moved of this, I'm sure. You are my God and you save my soul. And now I stand with the King of Kings. Now I stand with the King of Kings. He has paid for my every sin. And from now through eternity, I am free. I am free. Now I stand with the King of Kings. He has paid for my every sin. And from now through eternity, I am free. I am free. And I am free. was dead what once was dead is now alive you gave to me the breath of life you brought me up out from the grave and i'm bursting out with songs of praise what once was dead is now alive you gave to me the breath of life you brought me up out from the grave I'm bursting out with songs of praise. I'm bursting out with songs of praise. I'm bursting out with songs of praise. 
saved my soul. I am yours forevermore. I won't be moved of this, I'm sure. You are my God and you saved my soul. Sell 
Lord, this morning we bring you all of our praise. Lord, we sang about uh, we won't fear the battle, we won't fear the night. I don't think I picked these songs on purpose necessarily based on what happened this, this last week, but we praise you, God, that you, you know, work in, in interesting and mysterious ways through even what we're singing on a Sunday morning, God, and, um, you know, we're on edge. But also, Lord, we know that uh, we're on edge because of the world's events. But we also know that you are in control like we, like Pastor Tim talked about this morning, Lord. Like we prayed this morning, God, you are sovereign over all things. And Lord, sometimes it's hard to see how that's possible. But we know that you are, God. We thank you that we can join together freely, safely, Lord, here this morning. May we not take that for granted at any point about our physical safety right now. In praising you, Lord. 
We thank you that we can be here. We can sing together. We can be together, encourage each other. And Lord, we do pray for the world, Lord. We do uplift the world. We do uplift Ukraine, God, and ask the fighting would stop. We ask that you would work, Lord. And yet we know you're in charge. We know you're in control. And yet you allow this to happen, Lord. We're asking for your grace, your amazing grace that you've given to each of us, Lord. Pour it over the world. We know ultimately, Lord, you win. It doesn't matter who wins this battle. We know that ultimately, in the end, you win. You will come and you will reign. Jesus will come back. It doesn't matter who's in charge of Russia, who's in charge of Ukraine. Jesus Christ will be the Lord of the world. And that is amazing. That is incredible. That it's almost unfathomable for us to understand that. But Lord, we need your help now. We know that that is in the future, but we need you now, God. And for those of us, Lord, who are hurting in our own personal lives, God, outside of world events, Lord, there are lots of things happening in our own lives. We're asking for you to reach us now, to speak through your word to us, God, and to meet us where we're at. God, we thank you that we can sing together. We thank you for this time, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, and we'll dismiss the children for junior church at this time also. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses uh, 5 to 9 in our time together this morning. Um, just maybe reiterate one thing for you. We will be finishing up on our series on Ephesians next week. And so in two weeks, we'll be starting a series on Ruth and Esther. And we're entitling it God's Providence in Perilous Times. How appropriate in light of the situation in which we find ourselves in in this world. Um, so so let, uh, just kind of keep that in mind. Uh, Sunday school, we hope you'll come back next week, as Tim has announced. Uh, the adults, we're going to be finishing up on the series on God and sexuality in the next three weeks, and then starting a series on the parables um, right after that. Um, um, Pastor James will actually be leading us next week on the topic of how to help people in Sunday school, how to help people struggling with pornography. So it's a really, really important topic. So I would very much encourage you to, to come out for that. The class meets right over here to the left at 9.30 next week. So just keep all that in mind. Have you ever had problems in your work relationships? <laughs> you know, all you can do is laugh at that one, right? If anybody says, nope, it's always been perfect, then yeah, so, some, there's, there's some major problem. Or maybe you're self-employed or something along those lines, but definitely issues. But you, think, you just think about history. You, you, you think of economic revolutions which we've had in the world over the centuries, and part of it is because of the way workers feel that they're being treated. Uh, unions came because of mistreatment of workers. Uh, what business doesn't have human resources? And a whole host of governmental regulations with the Better Business Bureau and on and on and on it goes. So where might we find some perspective for how we should relate at work? I mean, some of you may say, well, I'm more in kind of a, a, a subordinate role. And others may say, no, I'm more in a leadership authority role. And for some of us in our workplace, we're in both, right? 
I mean, like, I know where I work, Lancaster Bible College, Capital Seminary. There's people under me for certain projects, and there's always people over me, right? So depending upon what kind of work you're doing, you're either one or the other or both just depending upon the assignments. The passage before us today, I would argue, gives us some principles that can help us in our work relationships. It's not identical to what we experience today because we're going to be looking at the slave-master relationship. But I think you'll find there's some principles there for us. Before we actually, here's the challenge. When you get on this topic, you got to first of all step back into the ancient world and try to ask yourself, what's going on there? What's Paul doing and what is Paul not doing? And why might that be? Right? And because you have to, in our day, there's a lot of talk, rightly so, about the inhumane evil of slavery. Correct? So you got to go back then. You got to talk. We got to talk about that a little bit. I can't just like gloss over it. Then we have to ask ourselves how do you get from that world back to our world with some valid applications for how you and I should relate? in a work relationship. So that's what I want to try to be able to do today. Get back there for a little bit, come back here and talk about us, all right? But we have to go back and look at that first because of some of the challenges. When you go back into the ancient world, um, as you probably are aware, um, slavery was ubiquitous. It was pervasive in the Greco-Roman world. It wasn't like you could go from one nation to another to try to get away from it. There just wasn't, wasn't an option. doesn't make it right. It just, it's, it's the reality. And there have been a host of individuals who have actually looked at the Apostle Paul and have said, I think Paul's wrong. And they've asked two questions. In many ways, the second one's harder than the first, but they're both challenging. They've asked these two questions of Paul. Why doesn't Paul explicitly attack the institution of slavery? It's a good question, isn't it? And one that's even more particular, why doesn't Paul explicitly tell Christian masters to free their slaves? Because that's not what he says in this text before us today. So, like, how do, you, how do you work with all of that? Have I lost my... Oh, good. All right. So, before I answer those, um, and like I said, th- this is a little bit... Okay. Well, we're hoping maybe we'll get this back up again. Bummer. Because I have... Co- okay, there it is. It may... This, we're just doing this on purpose to keep your attention, okay? Okay. You better read quick, because I don't know how long it's going to be there. Okay, no. <laughs> so, where, where I want to just start... I'm not trying to justify any system of slavery, but I think it's important for us to compare and contrast ancient slavery with what we might call new world slavery, okay? And here are a couple things to keep in mind as we talk our way through this. Um, The sources for slavery are different. In, In the ancient world, you could become a slave by being born to slave parents, 
You could become a slave. And this was very common early on in the Roman Empire, less so in Paul's day, uh, just because of the number of wars. But prior to that, what would happen is if my country beat your country, didn't matter who you were, you became our slaves. And for some, they would say, well, that's better than getting killed. And so literally what would sometimes happen is if Tim is in that other country and he has a bunch of slaves and I beat him, he and his slaves become my slaves. So I could have Tim as a slave and Tim could have slaves of his, that are his and he, they're all mine. I mean, you know, all kinds of stuff happened. Prisoners of war, criminals. They didn't typically get very good positions when it came to slavery. You would find them often in the mines or... Uh, in the galleys, working in the ocean, and, and it was a terrible thing. Um, personal debt. I owe Dan a lot of money. This is fictitious. And I can't pay. So for a period of time, I become a slave. Maybe for eight years, whatever. Whatever it takes to pay that off, and then, 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 then he frees me at the end of that point. So, or, or, I hate to say this, but what people would often do is they'd sell their children into slavery. Okay, I mean, this, is, this was the, the rawness of the ancient world. Abandoning, abandoned children. People would often abandon their children and individuals would take them, raise them, and sell them to slavery. And the last one is kidnapping. And this is the one that was looked down upon by some in the Greco-Roman world because they were stealing people that were considered free and making them slaves. It is interesting, Paul explicitly identifies that as a sin in 1 Timothy 1, 9, where he actually condemns what's called slave traders. So he does explicitly actually mention that one in really clear terms. How about in, our, how about in what we call New World slavery? Kidnapping of a specific ethnic group often viewed as inferior to another group. Isn't that what you find and found with what happened with so many Africans, for instance? It wasn't just Africans, but that was, that was where many, many came from. And so it was very much focused on a particular ethnic group. They didn't, in antiquity, it just didn't work that way. So there's a difference between the two. And, and, and I would actually argue that what happened in the new world, or slavery, was kidnapping. It's what it was. And actually, Paul condemns that one. Some other things. The experience was tended to be quite varied in the Greco-Roman world, and they were less varied in the new world order. It wouldn't be at all unusual. I'll use Tim as an example. He's my slave now. He's become, I, my, I've conquered him. He's become my slave. But he's very capable, so I use him in, in my bureaucracy for a whole host of reasons. And I even give him more education because I want him to do really good in what he does. You just don't see that in New World slavery, do you? Now, having said that, what goes on in the ancient world was awful. Because a, a man could bring a woman in as a slave, and he could also steal from her sexually. Absolutely. So I'm not condoning it. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying the experiences were more varied. You had people who had 
relatively good good, good, better experiences and those that had completely awful experiences. Most were bad, some weren't so bad. Whereas when you look at the New World system, it was largely just all bad. Opportunity to be freed is much more likely in the ancient world. Depending upon what time you're looking at in Roman history, it wasn't all unusual. Matter of fact, some emperors actually came on the scene and said, stop freeing all these slaves. And they passed laws. They were getting tired of it because what the previous guy did. So they, they, they tried to kind of bring it. So you have all kinds of things going on in the ancient world, but, but many would actually become freed at some point. That was very unlikely in New World slavery. Um, and lastly, the context of slavery, uh, politically autocratic was the culture, and in, and, 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 and in the New World, it would be considered politically democratic. So here's the point. Could Paul have done protests in the ancient world, in ancient Ephesus, and started going around and say, free all the slaves? How well would that have gone for him? Yeah, in a democratic place, you can do that. In the ancient world, that would be considered civil unrest and you're finished. So we, I'm not condoning what was going on. I'm just saying the way it was expressed was a bit different. Do you, do, do you see that? It's all wrong. I would say though new world slavery was really evil. And this was evil. Okay? So I think that that's where we have to kind of start when we, when we talk about this. And so you say, why doesn't Paul go, over, go after explicitly the institution of slavery? In that political environment, with a fledging church where you're trying to get the gospel out, he had enough problems with the gospel. He had to work within the system, even though he didn't like what was going on in the system itself. And I would argue this, actually. What Paul does is he plants the seeds of the gospel and its ramifications into the church in such a way that when that actually begins to grow, it would choke out the whole concept of slavery. You know, in the ancient world, if you were a slave, um, you didn't have a lot of rights. In the church, we would be brothers and sisters. And a slave could actually be the pastor of a church. What does that do <laughs> to that whole system in the ancient world? When all of a sudden, when I see you, I extend the hand of brother or sister. And you find out that this person is a person of character. They should be, they should be the elder here which puts them in a position of leadership, even if they were slaves. We don't know this. There's debate on it. But you're, you're aware of the book Philemon, you know, in the New Testament, which is a really fascinating book on this whole topic. I wish I had time to unpack it, but then we'd never get to Ephesians, and I'm already going way over here with what I'm doing. Um, but one of the things that's really fascinating, I can't prove this one, all right? But Onesimus, whose ma- name means useful, um, and, and it was a name that was used for slaves in antiquity. It was a very common name. 
Not, not, not super common, but somewhat common. Um, so he, when Paul sends him back to Philemon, you remember what he tells him? He says, I sent him back to you as what primarily? First and foremost, as a brother in Christ. Do you see what he's doing? He's going down deep and saying, Philemon, when you see Onesimus, the first thing you should think is not slave. The first thing you should think is brother. What does that do to their relationship? When you plant that seed, what will it grow into? And I can't prove this one. I can prove the first part. But we know from, from a later church writer, I think, and I think, I think it's from Ignatius. I think Ignatius says this. or Yeah, I think it's Ignatius. He actually refers to a bishop of the church of Ephesus whose name is Onesimus. Is it the same Onesimus we find in Colossians? I don't know. I, I, I can't prove that one. But Onesimus is normally the name you would see for slaves. So some Onesimus, and perhaps that Onesimus, became a bishop of a church in Ephesus. That's fascinating to me. I mean, I don't know what to do with all that. But you, you see what I'm saying? Paul worked from the inside out within the church so that the ramifications would then spill over into the culture as a whole rather than trying to develop some kind of a revolution in a culture where you can't even protest without having all kinds of problems. Okay, maybe that helps us a little bit on why Paul doesn't explicitly but more implicitly goes after the whole thing. Um, what about the fact that Paul doesn't just tell all masters, just free your slaves? The other thing we know from antiquity is slavery was not considered by many the lowest rung in the socioeconomic status of that day. Being a day laborer was, which means when Finkbeiner gets up, he has no idea where he's going to get his food that day. Zero, zero idea. At least if I'm a slave, I get a meal. If my master's somewhat decent, I get a meal. And so part of what Paul is wrestling with is to make this carte blanche statement of doing this when you don't know the ramifications it will have on that individual. Rather, what Paul does is he says, you see and treat them as a brother and sister in Christ. You don't ever take advantage of that woman even if she's considered somebody in your home. Never. And you don't misuse that slave. You see, you see he goes out in a very different way. And for, for some, what they did is they would free their slaves. For others, they may choose not to for a variety of reasons that, that they would have to decide on. He calls them to live wisely based on these foundational principles of who Jesus Christ is. So, that's what's going on in the ancient world. And there's more to be said, but I probably should stop there. Right, if you want to talk more about it, it's really, really interesting just to kind of look at all the, and I did, I looked at all the passages on slavery and Paul, <laughs> every one of them, okay? That I, if I missed one, I could have, but I don't think I did. Yeah, so, so, so it's, it's a fascinating thing to watch him at work. He works implicitly. He makes central the gospel through the entire process. In this passage... He's talking about the household, and we've already looked at the relationship of husband and wife and parent and child, where well, you would also have the whole issue of master and slave within the household. 
So Paul is dealing with that. And what I want to do is, although our situation at work is different, in other words, LBC does not own me. You know? If I really don't like what's going on there, guess what I can do? I can quit. A slave didn't have that opportunity in the ancient world, right? It was different. So when we try to make applications, we need to recognize there are differences. However, attitudinally, there are some principles that we can move from the ancient world of how slaves and, 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 and masters worked and how what we might say employers and employees should work together. Okay? So that's the move I want to make now. We'll look at some of these basic principles that we can apply to our own lives. And passage, here, you go like Finkbeiner. Finkbeiner, it's way late. Yeah, but there's only five verses. Okay, so. Um, yes, but we've seen what you do with five verses sometimes. So, okay, I'll try to be good. I'll try to be good. Um, just so you know, there's, uh, can you read that? Okay, all right, all right, all right. I know, I know it, I'm on the edge here with my fonts. But, but I, I'm going to pop back and forth between Ephesians 6, 5, and 9 and Colossians 3, 22 to 4, 1. Because both Ephesians and Colossians are written about the same time while Paul is under house arrest in Rome. Okay? So Paul is under arrest and he's writing these books <clears throat> to the Ephesians and the Colossians. So it's interesting to compare the two because you see some interesting similarities. They're, they're identical in some ways, and then they're, they're nuanced a little bit different. So once in a while, I'm going to pull a little bit from the Colossians passage just to kind of help us as we work our way through it. But basically what I want to do is this. What should be the relationship of a subordinate to an authority how to relate Christianly and why to relate Christianly. And then, what should be the relationship of an authority to a subordinate? How to do it and why to do it. Pretty simple. How and why, and then we're done, pretty much. Okay. So let's kind of work our way through the passage then. And you have it up here. If you want to read it up here, or if you have your Bibles open too, I'm using the NIV uh, for, for this passage. Listen to what Paul says. He says, slaves, obey your earthly... Oh, you know what? Let me just say this real quick. But I, I want you to... I, when, when Paul's writing to slaves, how would you feel often about your master? Well, how do you feel sometimes about your employer? Okay? I mean, there's similar... I know there's differences. Because I can't be whipped by my employer at LBC, okay? They would be in big trouble if they tried something like that. They could be in antiquity. But be thinking about some of those dynamics. Often you go like, they don't, here's what I hear from people. They don't treat me fairly, right? They show preferential treatment to other people. They don't care about us. They, they use the word accountability, but really what they're doing is they're manipulating us. Have you ever thought those things? Do you think slaves ever thought those things in antiquity? Yeah, we've all thought all those things. And I'm, I stand guilty too, so I, I, I get it. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. 
Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not people. Is that easy? Colossians says something very, very similar. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. He doesn't even give us wiggle room. And do it not only when their eye is on you and, and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Because you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. And then this statement, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So three things bubble up, it seems to me, when I read this passage about how to relate to others from a subordinate role, subordinate position. First one is this. Remember that Christ is the one that we ultimately serve. Did you see that in the passage? It's it's, it's like Visa. It's everywhere in the passage. If you circled the word Lord or Christ, it's just all the way through this passage. And I have to tell you, one of the hardest things for me, and and I'll be be honest with you now, I I love where I work, okay? And I'm not looking to leave or anything like that. I love where I work at LBC Capital and so forth. But there have been issues over the last two years, which um, I just frankly haven't agreed with, okay? And, and it's not been immoral or, or people are saying, think, Barney, you're going to sin. No, that's a non-negotiable. You ask me to sin, forget it. I'm not doing it. I don't care who you are because I serve God, right? So we all get that. The problem is this becomes wisdom issues, doesn't it? Where someone says, I think you should do it this way. And you go like, I think that's, well, you don't say it to them, but in your mind, you go like, I think that is really dumb. But you don't say that. You say, that strikes me as being less than wise. I mean, you know, yeah, 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 we all, we all, you want to, you want to be respectful the way you say kind of, but in your mind, you're like, that would be a really dumb thing to do. So like, like I get that. And, and, and the person who hears it the most is my dear wife. So I'll come home and I'll say, Sherry, you know? And, and she'll listen kindly and, you know, and then we'll just talk it through. But you know what I often forget in the midst of all that? That I'm not serving Lancaster Bible College. I'm not serving Capital Seminary. I'm serving Christ. And he has put me there to be his steward in that place to have as much influence as I can in a way that's kind and respectful. And that's all I can do. But I can do that to him. And in doing that to him, that's all he asks from me. I tell you folks, that is freeing. Because if I had to be the one who controls the end when I can't, Rather, I can trust the one who controls the end. You must always look beyond that authority to the one who stands behind that authority. 
always. And because he is bigger than them, it will be okay at the end of the day. And it doesn't mean there's not ramifications for you now and all that, but at the end of the day, in light of eternity, it will be okay. Do, do, do you see? He specifically talks here about eye service. It's sometimes translated eye service. But you, you've all done this. Like people say, the boss is coming. And then, yeah, yeah, right? And everybody, just, right? You know what I'm saying? Um, when I was in college, during one of the summers, I was looking for a summer job and they needed some um, security guards at Bambergers, which became Macy's, but it was Bambergers at that. Anybody remember the old Bambergers? I don't, it doesn't matter, whatever. Bambergers, it was cool. But they sold, I, whatever. So it, it was probably because of what I did over the summer there, but whatever. Um, so we, we were there trying to get, get this new plant up, this new uh, store up and going. And so there wasn't much in it yet. And we had to be there in case somebody would try to break in. I wasn't worried about people breaking in. I was worrying about my boss showing up because I worked third shift. And man, by three o'clock in the morning, I was tired. Now, this wasn't right. I'm just telling you what I did. We set up metal poles all around the doors so that if anybody so much as touched the door, that pole would come down and clang and bang and we could wake up just like that. That's eye service, isn't it? Because my attitude was, if he can't see me, I don't care what I do. Right? That's wrong. <laughs> to get some more sleep because of it, I suppose. But, but, but wrong, do you see? It's easy to do things because the boss sees me. You know what the beauty of this is? This text frees me to say, I go in and I do my work for the glory of God regardless. If the boss comes or doesn't come, it doesn't matter. Because the boss is there. The ultimate boss, the ultimate supervisor. So I work to him always. And then I don't have to worry about the other stuff. Yeah, but this guy's going to brown nose the boss and get a, you know, for a promotion. And you know how lazy he is when the boss isn't around. I don't have to worry about it. Because the boss sees do you see? This text frees us by keeping our eyes on the most important person. You know what that means? That means at the end of the day, secondly, that our service includes both our attitude and our actions. Did you notice how often the word heart is used in this passage? That means I can move back towards somebody with true sincerity and integrity of heart because I'm serving him. And I can move back and I can do what I'm asked because at the end of the day, I do it for him and not for them. But I can do it out of a sincere heart. I, I, I do want them to experience goodness from me as I serve him ultimately. Does that make sense? And that, folks... That can only be explained by the reality of the gospel. If God is God, he's died for us. He will right all wrong one day. We can rest in him and trust him. I am freed from the heart to truly go and do my work in a way that honors him and is good for the person to whom I'm extending it. So it's both my attitude and my actions. 
So different terms used here, sometimes doing good, sometimes serving. There's a whole host of different expressions, but they're both attitudes and actions. You've probably heard the story of the little boy um, who wasn't learning subordination very well with his parents. His dad told him and said, son, you go over and you sit on that chair until I tell you you can get up. And he went over and popped down on that chair, put his hands like this, and he said, I might be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up in the inside. <laughs> That's been me sometimes at work with people. I may be sitting down on the outside, but man, I am standing up in the inside. If there is no God, what I'm telling you right now makes absolutely no sense. Does it? Wait, I, instead, what I would say is get whatever you can, as quick as you can, use people in the process, and whatever. But if there's a God, it changes everything. So this service, it's ultimately to him. It entails both my attitudes and my actions and it relates to all situations that I face. There's just no wiggle room. So why, why do it? And I know my tie, I need to move quickly here. Why do it? Look at verse 8. Because you want me to get to the masters, right? I get it, yeah. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free, and he's already tipping our ha his hand toward the master with that expression. So he's already pushing us there. But, but what he's saying here is this. There is nothing you do for Christ which will go unseen by him. I'm always living in light of his gaze. Always. And he will right all wrong. And that term, uh, receive back... It's only used three times by Paul in this passage, in the passage in Colossians, and one other time in 2 Corinthians 5 where it talks about we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive. It's the same word. And, and so, so there is coming a day when we will stand before God, and if you know Jesus Christ and your Lord and Savior, you're not standing before him to see if you're in or out. You're in! But he will evaluate the way we have stewarded the life that he gave us through Jesus Christ. And he will recognize both things we do that were appropriate and things that we do that are inappropriate. It won't change our salvation. But it will change that experience in that moment. So I do it for him knowing that he ultimately is just and right. Switching gears... How about the relationship to the, uh, to the masters? Let's look at what he says here in verse 6, or 9, sorry. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Now, that's a really interesting statement. In, the same, in what way? Are you supposed to submit to them? I, I, I don't think that's what he's going back to. I, I think he's going back to two things from the previous verse. In the previous verse, he had said to slaves, what I want you to do is, I want you to do good to that individual, to your master, 
because it's the will of God. I want you to do good. And I want you to do it because you ultimately stand under God, who's the ultimate judge and the ultimate master. Masters, you do the same thing. You ask yourself, what does it mean to do good to that slave underneath me? Employers, what does it mean to do good to that employee underneath me? Because you too stand before him. So, masters, treat your slaves in the same way, doing good before God. Do not threaten them. Um, there are several writers in antiquity, um, I'm thinking Tacitus, and, and there's a couple other, Seneca, guys living around this time, Romans, okay? And, and one of the things that surfaces there is they say, the best way to handle slaves is to constantly threaten them. If you do that, I'm going to do this. And if you do that kind of thing, you know, just threatening them, trying to scare them to death. And Paul says in the gospel, there is no place for that kind of activity. Rather, you know what he says in Colossians? So he, on, on Ephesians, he says, don't threaten them. Don't, don't do what everybody else is saying you're supposed to do. Yeah, but they're slaves. They're people. And many of them are brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't you threaten them, Paul says. Rather, look at verse chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. So Paul says in these two passages, on the one hand, don't try to manipulate them and control them and threaten them and harass them and, and hurt them and abuse them. What you ought to always say is, the good is doing what is right for this person and being fair in the process. Do you see how that just can turn an entire culture on its head? And there was others in Paul's day that were also beginning to talk in some of this term about slavery. But Paul is really quite explicit on this one. And it just begins to turn everything on its head. He says, that's how you need to treat them. If, you, if you're here and you're either a middle manager or you're a manager or you're a CEO or whatever, these are good words for us. I was thinking in my own experience, there's times when I'm under and there's times when I'm over. And so I can just look this way and say, well, you know, that guy ought to. And then God says, Finkbinder, you ought to as you deal with people. Because you're not dealing with people that are ever inferior to you as a person, are they? Never. They happen to be in a different position. And so I always treat them with, or should, treat them with respect as an individual who's created in the image of God. And if it's a brother or sister, it ups the ante even significantly beyond that. It says, masters, employers, when you move toward those individuals, don't think, how can I use that person? How can I abuse that person for whatever I want? Ask myself, because I've got a master in heaven, what does it mean for me to move toward them and do the right and do what is fair? Wouldn't that be great if that was the first question? If the bottom line was not the amount of money we make, but the way we treat those that are under us. 
You say, well, that's radical. It is, but it's Christian. I tell you, it would change, it would change the work. I, I, look, I, I'm not an expert on education, organizational leadership theory and all that stuff. But I rub shoulders with guys who are. And, and uh, they teach it at the school and all. But I get so annoyed sometimes when people use terms like, well, we just want to cascade and network and blah, blah. And then I look at certain organizations and I say, that's just a ploy. They're just using that language to control people more. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm not trying to be critical. I, I am a little bit, I guess. Um, I mean, I just, I've seen that stuff happening. Haven't you? Wouldn't it be wonderful as Christians who have that influence from the top to begin to say, I'm, they're not going to be words for me. I'm going to believe it in my soul because I care about that person. And I want to do what. And I've also seen organizations where Christians at the top have done that very thing. They honestly love their employees. Honestly. They will rather take a cut for the company than to lose them and, and hurt their family. I love it. If you're in a position where you have any, any influence like that, will you live this way? Will you say, it's not about manipulating them and controlling them. It's about doing what is right and fair. That doesn't mean there's no accountability. My students would love that if I said there's no accountability. Everybody gets A's. No, nope, they don't get A's. There's accountability. It's fair accountability, but it's accountability nonetheless. You see the balance with these things, right? And this text says, treat them this way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. We get to heaven. My boss... And when my boss and when I stand before God, um, it, it's not like God is going to say like, well, that guy gets a little bit more than Finkbeiner because is that what it says? No, no. Their roles were different, but they both stand as my servants for I'm the ultimate supervisor and master. And there's no partiality. Yeah, but I have more money. God says, I don't care. I am fair. And that's how I, that, I'm just that's what I do. And Paul says to masters, and we might say to employers, God is the master of all of you. So you move back toward that person, knowing that your master is over you. I tell you, if Christians lived Christianly in the workplace, it'd be transformative. I know my time's up, just about up here. So let me, let me just hit the, I'm going to skip that one. We'll just go to this real quick. Remember these three things. God sees what we do. Now that's not always so good. <laughs> but out of integrity of heart, if you're seeking to honor him, he sees it all. Don't forget that. That is Paul's emphasis in Ephesians 6. I just pulled together some of Paul's other passages on, on slavery. And, and, and I noticed two other things. Secondly, God knows who we, whose we are. 
And in each one of those passages, again and again and again and again, Paul says something like this. In Christ, in Christ, there is neither slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, Greek nor Jew. No! In Christ you are one. And Paul will say in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you're, if, if you're a slave and you get a chance to be free, take it. But if you don't get a chance, remember you are God's freed man. And if you're a master, remember that you're God's slave. Do you see what he does? It all gets oriented back to God and Christ. I have found that to be, again, just completely freeing. And, and if I believe that, I will never treat a brother or sister in Christ like they're inferior to me because their position is different than mine in the organization. Do you see? Because we all stand before him. And we're all called to value that person wherever they are in the hierarchy. It doesn't matter. And lastly, God wants to be glorified through us. He brings this out more in the, what we call the pastorals, 1 Timothy and Titus. And he basically says this, when you and I are living out our faith before God in the workplace, a lost and dying world looks on and says, well, that's different. What makes him or her tick? Because I would never do anything like that. It's God. And God says, I want you to adorn my gospel. So that people go like, whoa, man alive. Woo. Workplace is a hard place. Not easy for anybody. But it's this wonderful spot that God has given us. Where if Christ is central in our lives, let, let, if you let the centrality of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives control our attitudes and actions in all of our work relationships. If you let God do that, he sees, he knows, and he will be glorified by what you actually do. Father, thank you for these texts of scripture. They're... they're uh, they're hard so often, Lord, because we, we have all kinds of what abouts, but what, 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 what about a, a crummy employer? What, what about a crummy employee? What, do, what does it mean to move toward them in a way that shows the grace and love of Christ and yet is open and honest? Father, we need your wisdom for all of that. But Lord, where we ask you to start in our lives is giving us this overwhelming sense of who you are, the one who has sent his beloved son to die for us on the cross, has given us his spirit to transform us, asks us to go back into the workplace. And wherever we find ourselves in the workplace, to live out our faith in such a way that you are on display. 
Father, would you do that for each one of us? I, I, I ask that for myself too, Lord, not just my brothers and sisters here. We all struggle. We all want to honor you from the inside out. We all want you to be glorified. We all want to remember who we are in Christ. And the joy it will be to bask in your glory for all eternity. We pray this because of Jesus Christ, the great lover of our soul. Amen. the shore and steady anchor in the fury of the storm when the winds of doubt blow through me and my sails have all been torn in the suffering in the sorrow when my sinking hopes are few I will hold fast to the anchor, it shall never be removed. Christ the sure and steady anchor, while the tempest rages on. When temptation claims the battle and claims the night has won, deeper still than goes the anchor. Though I justly stand accused, I will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be Verse 3, Christ assure. Christ assure and steady anchor through the floods of unbelief. Hopeless somehow, oh my soul now, lift your eyes to Calvary. This my palace of assurance, see his love forever prove. I will hold fast to the anchor, it shall never be removed. Christ the shore and steady anchor, as we face the wave of death. When these trials give way to glory, as we draw our final breath, we will cross that great horizon, clouds behind and life secure, and the calm will be the better 
for the storms that we endure. Christ, the shore of our salvation, ever faithful, ever true. We will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed. Yes, Lord, we know we can trust you this morning. We know that you are with us. We know that you see what we do. We know we are yours. We know, we know whose we are. We know that you want to be glorified through us. May that be true of us this week. May we feel encouraged, uplifted this morning through worship in the word, God, to go out into the world, to live like Christ, to know that we are Christ, and to glorify Christ. We thank you for this morning, God. Be with us as we go into our weeks. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a nice week.